1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices.
2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. So a Liverpool-Chelsea-Carabao Cup final. Feels like that's the final every year with Manchester City winning it. Both semi-finals were hanging on, a knife edge going into the second legs, but quickly fell onto the spreading bit, or whatever the opposite of that analogy is. Chelsea hit Middlesbrough for six. Could this be the turning point? Meanwhile, Liverpool edge past Fulham, who did make it interesting for the last 15 minutes, but the quadruple is still on. While we're on Cup Fever, there's an FA Cup fourth round to preview. Maidstone by the non-league flag at Ipswich, while Newport County table in league two host manchester united the all-premier league tie the rounds. sees holders man city go to spurs then there's johnny lou's genuinely interesting ffp thoughts a mini vote of confidence for roy calvin phillips to west ham and someone's written us a poem about chicken goujons all that plus your questions and that's today's guardian football weekly on the panel today barry Denning, welcome hello hello jordan jarrett brian yo 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 And yo, 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 back to you. And uh, hello, Johnny Lou. Hi. Uh, Let's do the um, uh, Carabao Cup semi final second legs, then starting at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea 6, Middlesbrough 1. Tom says Chelsea made it to the final, Max. But the obvious question, where do they need to strengthen to stand a chance of winning it? Um, Speedy McGee is there a risk? Chelsea, in fact, over-strengthened last summer. I guess, Baz, I mean, I know they were playing a championship side who didn't play very well. And I know I've asked this question before, but is this a glimpse of, of what Chelsea might become? God,
3: I don't, I don't know. I hope, I'd hope. i imagine Chelsea fans hope it's a sign of what they might become. And, you know, Ben Chilwell and Axel Dizesee were, were both excellent playing as full backs, pushing high, putting Borough players under all sorts of pressure. And, you know, that one of them is a newish signing, one's an established figure who's just back from injury and was very impressive back from injury. I think we, we kind of tend to forget how key the absence of Rhys James and Ben Chilwell are for Chelsea. But I, I wouldn't read too much into this because I was very disappointed with Middlesbrough's performance. It was revealed yesterday that, contrary to what everyone thought, Two legged semi finals in the Carabao Cup will remain. I'm not sure of the nitty gritty of it, but it's an EFL decision. And their chairman or chief executive, Trevor Birch, said that, you know, these two legged semi finals are important for EFL clubs because they make money out of them, but they also massively decrease or significantly decrease these these clubs' chances of winning these semi-finals, You know, Borough beat Chelsea at the Riverside, and if it was a one-legged thing, they'd be through. Uh, but because of the second leg, he always sort of worried Chelsea had overturned the deficit, and my, how they did it. And while Borough have nothing to be ashamed of losing against Chelsea over two legs, I'd say they'll be massively disappointed by how poor they were. In that second leg, because they just made it so easy for Chelsea, kept giving them the ball, mm. uh, played it into their hands, made stupid mistakes playing out from the back, didn't learn from them, and and it, it was really easy for Chelsea in the end.
2: Yeah, Johnny Baz says there's not a whole lot you can read into this. I mean, could you read a little bit more into it, bearing in mind we have at least some time to fill
4: on this pod? <laughs> well, Barry 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 mentioned this about Chilwell. I I thought he was the he was the real. The key to what Chelsea tried to do, and if you if you remember the first few weeks uh, under Pochettino, before Chilwell got injured, he was one of their key players, and he was looking like you know he was playing on the left wing, and he was looking like he was going to be a key part of this side. And if you think back through the Pochettino teams, particularly at yeah. Spurs, uh, the, the the importance of those fullbacks, not not just having. Uh, attacking fullbacks who can sort of pop up at the at the back post and and have this incredible engine, but having depth in those positions as well, uh, that's always been key to how he likes to set up. And so when he got injured, Chelsea were kind of forced into you know he had to, he kind of had to play Colewell a left back for a for a long time because Thiago Silva was playing on that side and he can't he doesn't necessarily have the the engine to cover those spaces anymore. He needed to play a slightly more defensive player on that side and. It, kind of, it affected the whole way that Chelsea wanted to build up on, under Pochettino. But Chil- if Chilwell is back and, and he's fit, and, and not, not only does that give him a, a really great chance of, of getting into the Euro 2024 squad and, and, and forcing his way into the England side, but it, it totally changes the complexion of how Chelsea want to attack. And, and that, that's, that's, I think, what, what we saw. Even, you know, maybe we can say that 6-1 flattered them. You know, Middlesbrough had some, some injuries. They had some, uh, I think, three-cup ties three international, uh, play, three players on international duty. So it, it wasn't like a fair, it wasn't a fair game. But it wasn't a fair reflection of of where they are. And They probably want to, if, if the Chelsea's ownership will probably want to amortise some of those six goals <laughs> over the next few games. Um, but, but it was a, you know, it, it was a really uh, impressive professional performance, particularly in the way that they managed to press high and, and, and built
0: play. I've just got to say that I've got a Chelsea supporting father and I've highly enjoyed
2: makes it sound like you have more than one father there like you have a selection <laughs> yeah, of fathers I'm, I'm, and we're now talking right, right, about your chelsea right. supporting you're,
0: one you're right my dad as opposed chelsea. to the top dj <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, again, my dad. we were all very surprised to learn about sometime <laughs> yeah, ago. yeah that one that one um He supports Chelsea and I've had a lot of fun this year ripping the hell out of him as to how bad they are. But something he's always said to me over the last 10 years and more is that and it's really annoying, kind of his mantra we're Chelsea, we win trophies, it's what we do. And Annoyingly, it's like, kind yeah, of The apples far from the tree, I oh, yeah, There's that, that as well. But it's, it's just really annoying that even at their worst or their bang average, they still manage to get to finals and potentially win cups. Um, and, you know, they've, they've not been good this season, but they're in another final. Um, fair play to them. Just a quick point on Middlesbrough as well. There was a lot of criticism about how they you know, didn't change how they played and they kept getting caught at the back and playing from the back was really poor. I'm a big believer in, I think Pep says it as well, and if he says it, he must be right, that there's no plan B, right? It's make plan A work, make plan A better. And again, and, and Post, uh, Ange Postacoglu, who had got a, got a lot of heat for refusing to change how he played. Vincent Company's getting it at Burnley. And I just really back managers that back the way they play. And although Middlesbrough didn't get it right, I don't think the solution was for them to change how they played. It was just to be better and a bit more flexible in Plan A. So I just wanted to make the point that I thought they got a lot of unfair criticism for trying to do what has worked for them so far. Just on this night, it just didn't. It wasn't executed very well. So tempted to ask what your dad, your dad's feelings towards Aston
2: Villa, <laughs> but I might park that for a second. And Barry <laughs> Pochettino said, "I'm desperate to win a title here, i.e. a trophy." In one year and a half in Paris, we won three trophies and we want to win one here. I'm desperate to win, of course, which is great revisionism for a PSG manager, isn't it? Because he he famously didn't win Ligue 1 once, which is clearly <laughs> enormous, but he's turned that
3: into we won three trophies in one and a half years. Yeah, it's it's a sort of a m esque uh, massage of the figures, <laughs> isn't it? Um, yeah, well, of course he wants to win win trophies and he he does have a... You know, it is constantly pointed out by his detractors that he's lost what is it two finals in in ah uh, during his time in English football English
2: was it two or three Champions League final, Carabao Cup final. I can't remember any others.
3: So you know, we have a repeat now of the Carabao Cup final in two thousand and twenty two, and indeed the FA Cup final in two thousand and twenty two. Uh, I think the Carabao Cup final wasn't too bad and Liverpool won on penalties. Um, that was the game in which Kepa Arazabagla was brought on Who? for the shootout. Please don't <laughs> pill boy up on whatever it is. I just called him. I haven't said his name for quite a long time. And he ended up missing the decisive spot kick and then... Uh, Liverpool won the FA Cup final as well on penalties, and that wasn't a very good game. So Chelsea, I suppose, are due one. I think Liverpool will probably win the final. There's an inevitability about it, seems to be because they don't lose too many games, and um, but y- y- you never know. So Liverpool threw after a one-all draw at Craven Cottage.
2: This game was pretty exciting after the Fulham equalisers, Johnny. I-, I think once Liverpool scored early on, you thought that might be it and Burton Leno should have done a lot better. But we did have a, a kind of last 15. Harry Wilson had that one chance. You just wanted Fulham to create a little bit more after they scored.
4: Yeah, it was interesting that, I mean, I think Marcus Silva afterwards said that Fulham's, Fulham got too emotional and you know, for the people who were at the ground were saying that, the, like, the the stadium announcer was going like, "This is history. This is our chance of history. History could be made tonight." And you know, you wonder whether they maybe played up that that side of it, you know, a little bit much because Fulham haven't, you know, they haven't been at this stage. Uh, I think it's something like eight semifinals in their history, something like that. And you know, it's possible they just got a little bit nervy and, and they they started really badly and and then you know they, they they made a game of it in the last half hour. Harry Wilson, who I. I from the times I've seen him playing for Fulham, I don't know why he doesn't play more for them in the Premier League. I guess Fulham fans would have a would have an answer to that, a better answer to that. Um, but yeah, Fulham really went at them in the last 20, 25 minutes in, in a way that made you wonder, you know, what if they'd what if they'd had a proper go at, at Liverpool right from the start? Because Liverpool were, you know, it, it wasn't quite a, a full-strength side, you know, that they played a lot of the kids and, and they played a lot of, um, you know, fringe players. So it was, it was kind of a mix of youth and experience, um, and, and I actually thought it was, it was really impressive the way they they saw that game out. Um, if you think about the lack of experience, you know Bradley and, and, and Kwanzaa, I thought had a good game. Um, I mean, I, I also want to mention like the this incredible like he sends on he, uh, Klopp sends on Bobby Clark with with seven minutes to go, and, it, and that's the point at which the, the tie is is right on a knife edge, and I just love the the trust of Klopp going to the you know Bobby Clark, go on see this out like cup semifinal. And, and he does it. He played. He played really well. So uh, that I think is the the difference between these two sides. Just that that kind of institutional knowledge of, of of how these um you know how how to to get the job done basically.
2: And it's interesting actually, Jordan, isn't it? Johnny mentions Clark there, um, Connor Bradley as well. Seeing young players coming into a confident
0: team. It, it just. I mean. Clearly, these are all
2: very good players, but God, it
0: helps. It does, and I think the coaching around that and the environment that's created is is a massive, massive part of that. They're having a, what I would say, a decent to good season this year, and I think having talented players who are young and, as I mentioned, are in an environment created by the manager and the coaching staff to do their best work um, is, is 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 essential. I, I thought Fulham were, were, were um, I thought Fulham, I thought Fulham were good. Um, I, I I was disappointed they didn't really go for it a bit earlier in the match. I, I thought that they kind of tried to feel like Liverpool a bit too long before going for it was my interpretation of the match. But um, I, I think had they gone for Liverpool a little bit earlier, they might have had a little bit more joy.
3: I thought they started quite well, uh, but like Borough the, the night before, they kept giving the ball away sloppily when they, you know they should have done better. And they had... Two pretty good chances in the first half before Liverpool scored. Um one was when Pereira picked out Palina at a corner and he he had all the time in the world to to pick his spot for the volley and, and blast it over the bar and he should have scored. I expected it more from a player of his quality. And then I think soon after that there was an Anthony Robinson cross from the left, a real, real vicious cross and and Quevine Kelleher got a a vital touch to deny Bobby Cordoba Reed at the far post. And I think if one of those had gone in, you know, Fulham might have... The, the tie could have gone the other way. And then Diaz scored, uh, you know, Jarrell Kwanzaa is another young player who was playing for Liverpool, and he he was instrumental in setting up that goal with his lovely sort of Alexander-esque, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold-esque diagonal up towards um, uh, Louis Diaz. I have a theory about this game. I think when Liverpool scored that goal and then half-time came, I reckon almost the entire audience will have switched over to traitors on BBC. Right. Um, because it was the first night of the, the final week of traitors and wow. it'll have been, you know, Liver, Liverpool are done. That's it. Game over. Let's watch traitors. So, so no one will have seen um, Fulham's reasonably spirited
0: fight back in the second half.
2: And who's who's the favourite to win traitors?
0: Oh, don't spoil it, Barry. I, I'm two episodes behind. Okay, okay don't answer say. that question.
2: Uh, is it Gavin or Chanel? I mean, I. I'm not watching, so
3: There There's I... no Gavin, no Chanel. A oh. lot of them are very, very thick. <laughs> yeah, oh. That's all I'll say. Right. Just incredibly okay. thick. Right. Okay. So the the guy who I think is going to win, although I suspect the way it's being edited, he may not... It, it won't be because he's incredibly clever. It's just wow. the rest of them are just so okay. thick. Um, I,
2: I just wonder from a Fulham perspective, is, is this a danger in, you know, you take this competition seriously, you play all the games, you get a bit tired, you go out in the semifinals, no one remembers that. And so actually you'd be better off not taking the competition seriously or is that just a daft question?
3: I, I think you have to take it seriously. Don't you? If you're Fulham, I mean, they're yeah. they're not going to get relegated. They're not going to, be challenging for Europe so of course they should take Cops seriously
2: Mm, it's been a while since a team has made a mistake with uh, um, things for supporters I think it was (laughs) The, the Brighton ponchos of maybe five years ago that made it look like they had started a new I don't know what what are they called you know the what, what are the ku klux klan what's their sort of a, a rally a ra- no not a rally you know like i don't know what what's their home base i'm not i'm not fortunately i'm not very knowledgeable on this but bumba says was it a surprise to see fulham confirm themselves as the london branch of the kkk yes they laid out the flags you know really i mean it is it was funny because it's a moment in time when they're all waving it looked great but when they were all just laid on the seats they must have someone must have sat back and gone Oh dear, this really this really doesn't
4: look very good. Um, but anyway. Leicester did this. I remember Leicester doing this a, a few years ago. There was, um, They were playing a Champions League game during the, their Champions League season. And, and they put, you know, it was basically the same. They put white flags on all the seats, but because of the way the flags were falling, it just looked like they filled <laughs> the entire King Power Stadium with
0: very, very small <laughs> clan Tiny members. Tiny grand wizards. And, and to be fair, as you're putting the, the flags down the seat, that that gentleman or that team... Wouldn't have seen it from 50, no. fifty meters back. So to be fair to Fulham, they wouldn't have known that until mm. the you, you
2: don't in in the sort of in the risk assessment. You don't you don't think that what will this look like from How would it afar? Look from there, do you? Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, maybe the next team won't make that mistake. That'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll look ahead to the fourth round of the FA Cup.
1: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier.
2: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We normally get told off for not talking about Monday Night Football. imagine we would get told off for talking about Monday Night Football. It was so long ago and Brighton and Wolves drew nil-nil. James Milner did overtake Ryan Giggs to claim second in the all-time Premier League appearances list. He's now just 20 behind Gareth Barry. So, you know, look forward to when he overtakes that. Uh, It would be some achievement from young James. FA Cup fourth round um ipswich maidstone uh should we start there george Alakobi delighted with the drawaway at ipswich because he says it's a fantastic location geographically it is reachable for our maidstone <laughs> community he says not wrong just one hour 33 by car worth noting um if you're going by train there is a reduced service on greater
4: anglia between colchester and ipswich i just wonder would it be quicker by boats would maidstone to ipswich be quicker by boats like a shorter distance surely I don't know how
2: near the Water Maidstone is.
4: It's Maidstone is like north North Kent, I'm not In not Kent, not coastal, yes. but I mean probably a short hop to, I don't know, maybe 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 Sheerness Rochester. Or, or Rochester. Yeah, and then you know you, yeah. you're getting an oyster boat and um you know and.
3: Well, as Sunderland supporting pal of mine went to Ipswich a couple of weeks ago to watch Sunderland get beaten and two one. And I think that there was rail difficulties then and he had to, to do quite a large chunk of the journey on a rail replacement bus and that would be enough to put me off going, definitely.
2: Mm. Producer Joel says you're looking at the Tilbury Ferry from Gravesend uh-huh, to Essex. Uh-huh. Can't, but but can't, can't be quicker. Anyway, I mean, I, I don't expect, Barry, you know everything about Maidstone United, but it's not a terrible draw for them. I mean, they would have liked a bigger side and it but it's which are going well. And, you know, you never know.
3: Well, I, I guess they're happy enough with Ipswich, but they would have liked a home draw, obviously. And I mean, this fourth round draw: there's five all Premier League ties, four all Championship ties, and then Maidstone are away, Newport are at home, Wrexham are away. Publicity starved Wrexham, who were on the TV on Monday night their game against Blackburn is on Monday. And this this round, like the last one, is spread out for over Thursday through to Monday, which is you know, I suppose it doesn't really matter, does it? But um what was it? Oh Maidstone, yes. Well, I think we've spoken about their history after their, their third round win. You know, they've they've been really had it tough, went were slung out of the league. Ended up playing in the fourth division of the Kent Counties League, worked the way back up to the National League, then got relegated after a couple of seasons. And for a while, they didn't have a ground. We had their chief executive on the radio the day after the third round win. Tremendously entertaining man. Some great stories. Uh, he he seems to have led a very full and eventful life in football, mm. and he's been Bill Williams was his name. Yeah, Bill uh, has been connected with the club for decades. You know, being there for the very worst of times, and now he's there for the very best of times. So, um, good luck to them.
2: What chance do you give Newport County over Manchester United, Jordan? This this seems like if if the if the round is ripe for an upset, this is probably the one that people want, right?
0: You'll want it, yeah. Um, I don't think it will happen. Unfortunately, um, it'll be hilarious if it did happen. But um, I-, I think United um, are kind of in that kind of groove now, where they know they're teetering um, on the brink. And if they lose games like this, it's going to just fall to a new, a new low, a new level of of, um, of embarrassment. So I expect them to get the job done here.
2: Uh, Bristol City, Nottingham Forest, Liverpool, Norwich. I can only see Luis Suarez scoring eight in this game um, Bournemouth <laughs> Swansea and West Brom Wolves uh, the other sort of possible upsets Spurs Man City probably the tie of the round Johnny certainly from an all Premier League point of view Madison might be back for Spurs it should be an open game shouldn't it it was 3-3 at the Etihad Man City have never scored at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and you just sense that when they break that duck they will really break that duck
4: That they've famously um, had a penalty in the, in the first leg of that Champions League uh, quarter final which which Aguero missed Uh it's 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 an it's an annoying one for City because uh, they are obviously you know they've got a huge kind of slate of league fixtures coming up and and players that they are trying to that Guardiola will be trying to ease back into the side you know whether it's Holland trying to get uh, or or De Bruyne and it, you you would you would probably have wanted something a little bit easier than this um, but going to Spurs especially. Spurs with their, I, I don't know, is it, is it kind of, you know, parodic to call it cup heritage these days? Because they haven't actually won the thing for since 1991. But there is, I think, an expectation, particularly after the way um, Spurs went out of the Carabao Cup, that they're going to have a, that, that, that I think Spurs fans are expecting them to have a pretty solid tilt. At, at the cup this this season, and especially if they beat City, they will they will genuinely believe they can they can go on and win it, and they will, they'll have a proper go. Obviously, as we know, a uh, Apostokoglu side will they will almost certainly put out a full strength or nearly full strength side. Madison might be back, I think La Celso might be out, but but generally a pretty full strength side. Um, and and it should be an, it should be an incredible game. I mean, I I don't know if, if we're talking like sort of two thousand and four levels, but it's it's like the it's coming up to the twentieth anniversary of that that famous four three game, right? Which i
2: um, you know the one, oh, the John Macken header, the
4: John Mackin game. Right? Yeah, ah, like yes, where they come back, from, yeah, from three 0 down. Um, and so yeah, I mean, all all the ingredients are there. Uh, I think it's what Friday, it's it's Friday night, right? Um, I, I, probably the tie of the round.
3: It's interesting that it was uh, Gary Mabbott who paired Spurs with Manchester City, and he, the look of horror yeah. on his face when he <laughs> saw what he'd done. It's not the first time he's done. <laughs> Uh, possibly irreparable harm to Tottenham's chances of winning the FA Cup. Let's just say poor old Gary. <laughs> uh, what does your heart tell you is going to happen in this, Jordan?
0: I think Spurs might do it. I have I, I agree with Johnny. I think Spurs are going to really... I think they've put a lot of emphasis this year in wanting to take the FA Cup seriously. I think they know they need a cup. They do have a decent record of recent times against Manchester City. I don't think it will be because City are poor... I just think Spurs will will turn up, I, I, and I take no joy in saying that, but um, I, I, I'm, I'll am go for Spurs.
2: The British billionaire Joe Lewis pleaded guilty on Wednesday to charges that he used inside a training scheme to enrich friends and associates and apologised to a judge. I'm so embarrassed, I apologise to the court for my conduct, he said. Um, he founded Enix Sport, uh, the company that owns the vast majority of shares in Spurs. In a statement last year to The Athletic, a Spurs spokesman said the owner of Tottenham Hotspur is Enoch with majority control held by a family discretionary trust of which Joe Lewis is not a beneficiary. He ceased to be a person with significant control in the club in October 2022. This is a, le- this is a US legal matter unconnected with the club and as such we have no further comment. Um, the Lewis family trust effectively controls just over 60% of the club's shares. Uh, his guilty plea, according to the Athletic does not therefore impact the day-to-day running of the club or give them problems with the Premier League owners and directors' tests. Um, is it convenient, Johnny, that Joe Lewis no, became no longer the owner of Tottenham at around the time this case began?
4: Yeah, well, that, that famous defence, like they, they would say that, wouldn't they? But we don't, we don't have, obviously have, to, have the time to go into it here. But if you if you look at like Joe Lewis's history, you know, business, business history, some of the stuff he's done, business dealings. There's there's not a lot a lot to feel proud of there for Spurs fans. Um you know, I think Spurs fans are are, are pretty quick to talk about other clubs owners, uh, you know, whether they're whether it's Newcastle or City or, or you know, they're, they're very quick to point the finger um at other clubs for where their money comes from and how it's been earned. Um, and I think this is just a reminder that nobody is nobody is holier than thou on, on this.
2: Ed Aaron's writing um, regarding Roy Hodgson. He understands Roy is set to remain in charge of Crystal Palace for next week's game against Sheffield United after holding talks with Steve Parrish, the chairman after the Arsenal defeat. That and games against Brighton and Chelsea will be crucial in determining his future. Um, So a stay of execution, I guess.
3: Uh, Calvin Phillips
2: has joined West Ham on loan with an option to buy.
3: That seems like a good idea, Barry, doesn't it, for all parties? Just getting out of Man City is a good idea for Calvin Phillips because his career has really stagnated since he moved there despite the fact that you know he's won a treble uh last season. I I'll be honest, um with with I suppose I have to say with the greatest of respect to West Ham, I thought he'd go somewhere a bit better, a more elite club. But um he just needs to get playing football, doesn't he? And David Moyes is clearly very keen on him. Um I'm I'm not sure he's exactly what West Ham need. But he, they are certainly what he needs.
2: Mm. I mean, interestingly, you, you say he could have gone somewhere better. I wonder, Jordan, if everyone's fit. I know pa- pa- Pacquetar is out for a bit, but does he even start for West Ham with with Edson Alvarez and James Ward Prowse just behind Pacquetar?
0: I don't think he walks into that starting eleven, but I definitely think he he's more than capable of competing to get into that into that into that team. I, I personally think this move. And a bit like Jordan Henderson as well um, is driven by the fact that the third spot in the England team for this Euro summers isn't locked down. I think we know Bellingham and Rice will start. And I think that they would have put, gone to the one with the squad anyway. But I reckon Phillips and Henderson are both thinking to themselves, I can start potentially in that team, in a, in a Euros where England could win it. He needs to obviously get himself, as you mentioned, into the West Ham team first of all. But I, I don't, see I, I think that's I can see that happening and I I disagree with Barry slightly I'm not so sure he could have got a bigger team than West Ham I, I think West Ham's probably the, the kind of level of where where Calvin Phillips is um I what kind of club Barry was you thinking he could have potentially moved to
3: well I think Barcelona are crying out for a player of his qualities but then there's the
4: no. There there was some talk. There was some talk of, of Barcelona wanting to what a little cut price deal for him, right?
3: But the problem there, I suppose, is that City Group own Girona, who are top of the La Liga, and would they want to to help Barcelona? Possible, you know, probably not, um, considering the lofty position in which Girona find themselves. Uh, what there was talk of them maybe going to Newcastle as well, uh, West Hammer. Higher in the league table than Newcastle, but you know the the Newcastle project in inverted commas is is probably more ambitious than the West Ham one. Um So, well, yeah, yeah, West Ham's all right. You know, he, he he just needs to get playing and try and get himself back in the England team. You're smirking, Max. Why are you smirking?
2: I just like It's just sort of damning with faint praise for West Ham, you know, this club with years of history, you know, who won a European trophy and they say, well, they're all right. I mean, I think you're right. That's sort of about how good they are. It just, it sounded
3: quite flippant. That's why I, that's why I was laughing. But no, uh, but to yeah. be fair, they have won silverware, uh, lots of silverware since Newcastle last won silverware, but, you know, Newcastle are the richest club in the world. Yeah. But, no, no. but are comically hamstrung by the fact that they can't spend any of their money. (laughs) Well, you mentioned Newcastle,
2: and and they turned down quite a big bid for Trippier, more than they paid for him considering he's 33. They've turned down uh, bids for Callum Wilson. Um, Now, Miguel Almiron is subject of interest from uh, Al-Shabaab in the Saudi League. Uh, Worth noting, they're not owned by Piff Al-Shabaab directly. Um, Johnny, your thoughts on that? potential transfer
4: yeah well i mean this is the, the kind of the, the official the official version of events and which is also i think the official version that is uh that well it's, it's also the version that most of the newcastle-based journalists have come up with through their independent digging uh so uh, i think we can we can assume this is you know this is the what's actually happening basically almiron you know newcastle needs to com- comply with fair play uh for financial fair play uh so Almoron is, is surplus to requirements. He's, you know, he's not good enough for that, for that team anymore, but not so surplus to requirements that he wouldn't command like a really strong bid. You know, they're not going to get low-balled um, for someone like Almoron. You know, they're not desperate to get him. He's still, you know, part of the... He was you know, a key part of the squad that qualified them for the Champions League last season. And so a bid has come in from, from Al-Shabaab, who... I think he's pres president, president. I mean, they're not one of the PIF owned clubs, but um they are one of the biggest clubs in the in, in the Saudi pro league and, and their president uh is comes from a prominent uh family of Saudi businessmen. So obviously we'll have done lots of deals with the state, through the state. Not not this. Okay, I'm I'm not not assuming that, that any kind of deal has been done here. But basically a bid a bid has come in, and this bid is not you know it's 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 not like a low ball first bid you know normally first bids are quite derisory right you know you know that they're desperate to sell but no this bid has been an agreement has already been made that they've agreed a fee so it's like a bid that it's not it's it's not so low that they would reject it or negotiate it or or you know they go through some sort of public protracted bargaining process no they've just they've just accepted that bid but it's not it's fair market value it's not like um it's not so big that it would be kind of uh, you know suspicious it under under the fair market regulations of of um the profit and sustainability rules so I mean it's it's, it's very lucky for Newcastle really, <laughs> that they've managed to that a player who they didn't want to sell but also had to sell they've 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 come up somebody's come up with a bid for him that is it's is the perfect bid it's pitched at the perfect level that is fair market value but but not, you know, so low that that they would have to reject it and negotiate a higher one. So, I mean, I just it's just very fortunate. That's the official version of events, anyway. And I think we we should all accept that official version of events. Um, you know, if we value the structural integrity of our bones. Um, <laughs> well, while, while we're on FFP
2: and PSR and all the charges, Johnny, you you actually wrote a. I sound surprised. Your pieces are good, but like an interesting piece on FFP is quite is quite an achievement. And I'll, I'll, I will read a bit out because I thought it was interesting. We're fighting in 2024 the battles that should have been fought in 2014 and 2004 or even earlier. Decisions that were botched, shirked, ignored years ago and now coming home to roost. The unregulated free-for-all that allowed first the oligarchs and then the venture capitalists and then the state actors to claim a piece of our turf. Players signed for ridiculous sums by sporting directors and owners who are now long gone. The decision to let the Super League breakaway clubs slide back into the competition with a paltry £3.7 million fine for their trouble. Do you think right now these charges are kind of a watershed moment? Or your piece was basically saying it, it feels even if the Premier League are doing the right thing by these charges... And I'm not saying they are. I'm not saying you're saying they are. The fact that they are doing it still feels not quite right.
4: Yeah. I mean the the problem with this debate, you know, so to call it, is that both sides kind of have a point in that obviously you need some kind of uh financial regulation to stop uh unregulated overspending, but you can also very strongly argue that the Premier League are have, have no kind of certainly no moral authority to uh or trust or or the required trust to administer. Those regulations. I think both sides kind of have a point here. Um, the, this is the you know the same Premier League who for decades basically turned a blind eye to this stuff. Who built the the entire brand of the Premier League on on no questions asked. Come and bring come and bring your money to the Premier League. Stuff the coffers uh, and buy whoever you want. Do do whatever you want. We won't ask any questions. And so now for the premier league to then say well we're going to we're going to stamp down hard on these you know slightly smaller clubs not not the big clubs but that you know that we're going to punish everton and nottingham forest first um you can see why fans of those clubs are like hang on this is a little this is a little bit rich and it's a little bit hypocritical um and so yeah i don't i don't necessarily know what the, what the answer is beyond a proper regulator with with actual teeth who can say to you know, state owners, no, you're not doing that. Or saying to to owners like, like Dai Yong at Reading, this is not your club anymore. We are we are literally taking this club off your hands. Um, and, and unless a regulator has that, those kinds of powers, then we are basically just, you know, we are continuing to fight the battles of 10, 20 years ago, trying to, trying to regulate a game that has already been warped and bent and, and destabilised. By the actions that, that were taken you know a generation ago
2: all right that'll do for part two um, we'll do any other business in part
4: three
1: where's that dust coming from
2: Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, an update on uh, the racist abuse of Mike Mannion, the AC Milan keeper. Four Udinese fans have been banned for life by the club. Udinese can confirm it's identified four further individuals relating to the incident of discrimination towards Mike Mannion. These individuals will be banned uh, from the stadium for life. Udinese have been ordered to play one match behind closed doors, Jordan. Um, Troy Townsend, our friend, was, said, oh, the old match behind closed doors routine. We are tired of it all. Tired. Uh, we, those most affected, he says, are tired of it all. Tired. Is behind closed doors never the answer now? Is that, a, is it, should it be more severe? Should it be more games behind closed doors or, or is that a bad idea?
0: Yeah, I, I think the problem that Troy has with and many people have with behind closed doors is, The amount of games, so obviously a club will lose revenue if they don't have fans in the ground, right? But being banned for having fans in for one game, the revenue loss there is minimal. If it was going to be 10 games behind closed doors, 15 games, then, you know, I, I don't want to speak for Troy, but he may well feel that is a bit more of a deterrent. Um, I've got two quick points I want to make on this. Uh, people often talk about fines um, not being the answer because football clubs are so rich. And I've maybe said that myself, but I'm going to stretch a point here to make make my point. It's a, it's the amount of fine, the amount of money that they are fined, right? So if there was a rule that said, if your club is deemed to have, you know, I don't know, players, players who have racially abused someone or fans who have racially abused someone, there's a 60 million pound fine, then that would put a lot of clubs out of business, that could be a deterrent. So I'm I'm exaggerating a point to make a point. Finding clubs isn't necessarily not the answer. It's the amount that these clubs often find, which makes it laughable. And if I can make a second, almost parallel point in regards to off the field of play, you know, what could be done? You, Max and producer Joel, invited me on to the Guardian Football Weekly for my first ever appearance on here a couple of weeks after George Floyd had been murdered. I was on with Troy, that one. We had a really interesting discussion around what sports media and indeed the wider world can do to better race relations. We had a really good chat. I think you heard me on TalkSport the week before talking about the same thing and I called out TalkSport on TalkSport about what they need to do and rah, rah, rah. And on The Guardian episode, um, I mentioned also The Guardian could do a lot more to invite black contributors onto the podcast to talk about these issues, not just on when, sorry, talk about footballing issues and not just about racism in football. And to be fair to the Guardian, you've done that. I've been on the pod now for three years and I'm very, very, very grateful and thankful. And I, I enjoy coming on the pod. I think there's a potential to sports media industry that's also improved in that we are able to have credible voices, talk about this issue in a way that is um, from the voices of people who are affected by racism in this sport, But also, I think in our media, and I think this wider media problem is that we're still having a discussion of is football racist? In the same way, I hear certain radio stations ask the question, is Britain racist? And that for me is very problematic because it makes me think that isn't the question. We're past that. We're, we're we're, We're really past that. The question should be what are we prepared to do to eradicate racism from the country, but in regards to this podcast? football that's the discussion we need to be having here and I think in terms of off the field of play what we as journalists can do is ensure that when we have podcasts when we have radio stations when we have tv programs we are having the right people discuss these issues and I just wanted to kind of make the point that I think since my first appearance on the podcast I've seen so much improvement in where the media has um, spoken about this issue of racism in football with the people that actually know what it's like to be racially abused. Um so it's a very long-winded way of me kind of applauding the Guardian Football Weekly and some parts of our media, but other parts of our media I think are still well behind because they're still having that question of is football racist? And for me, that is an issue because we're we're just well past that. That isn't the question No. I, I
2: guess I guess what Udinese would say is we found who we found the culprits, we've banned them for
0: life. That's what we should do. That's what that is what they should do. But I I think I think they should still be. I still hold clubs responsible for the the fans that are in there, that that follow their football club. That that maybe seem harsh that's harsh. A lot of people t- take issue with the the po- possible. Points deduction. Oh, why should we all feel the brunt of of a man of a few idiots? Mm-hmm. But I'm really sorry. I think a serious issue requires serious consequences, and if we all have to feel the brunt of that for the minority, then I, I'm I'm sorry, but that is where we are. Because my response is, what's the alternative? Mm-hmm. Right, or or in, in the sense that it creates an, an anti
2: racist
4: environment at the club, right? And and you know, for a Dortmund, for example, they 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 proactively. You know, educate fans on, for example, the Holocaust or, or, or anti-Semitism. You know, they run courses, they, they they run visits to Auschwitz and other concentration camps. They 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 try and proactively before an incident happens. They try and create a culture where that says racism is is not tolerated. This isn't us. This is not who we are. And if if, if you if you could do anything like that, you are not one of us. Doing that work in 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 a proactive way. Instead of reacting to the incident, and I you know, I agree that, you know, banning fa- identifying and banning fans is, is a lot further than actually a lot of other teams are prepared to go, especially when it when it um when it, it puts them into conflict with with their own ultras. So fair enough that you know their reaction has been fine, but um it's what what was the environment, what was the culture that allowed these incidents to happen in the first place? And and I think, you know, the, the principle of collective responsibility means that Udine, they do have to take some some share of the blame for that as well.
2: Moving on to um, AFCON. And uh, thanks to everyone who enjoyed the special that we did on AFCON. And um, uh, yeah, it it went out very well. And uh, it was a really fun panel. We will do another one. Um, We've got one soon uh, booked in, producer Joel says. Uh, It has been so good. So many shocks, late goals. It is worth pointing out, though, that yesterday, it is a real shame that Hakim Ziyech scored uh, for Morocco because otherwise we would have had Namibia nil, Mali nil, South Africa nil, Tunisia nil. Tanzania nil, DR, Congo nil, Zambia nil, Morocco nil. But Morocco spoiled it by scoring one, although their group is the best because only Morocco have won a match in the group. Uh, Congo came second with three points, three draws, and Zambia third, two points. Uh, Tanzania on two as well. But yes, it's good to see naught In the win column of three teams, the last 16s begin on Saturday. Uh, Jim says, thoughts on Eric Dyer going full Steve McLaren? Uh, He made his debut coming on at half-time in a 1-0 win over Union Berlin for Bayern. I don't know if you've seen this clip, Barry. Have you? Uh, Has anyone seen it?
3: I I have, yes. Um, It's good fun, isn't it? He went a bit (laughs) hello, hello, didn't
2: he? He hasn't been there very long. I mean, that's the amazing thing. It's literally like you just land there and you just can't help yourself. I suppose... I go Cockney when I get in a taxi, so it's the same thing, really, isn't it? You just start talking like the person who's talking to you. It's
4: a basic sign of humanity, isn't it? It shows that you kind of empathise with your audience. I, I think you know, it's um, mm. this. This stuff gets gets slightly unfairly ridiculed because I think you know, trying to adjust your. Uh, your message or your tone to your audience is, is, is actually it's quite a nice thing to do. Yeah,
2: good on Eric. Uh, Oscar says, Dear Max and the gang, I can't comment on the current space of Rushtoning in Vera. Yes, this is off the back of a Rushton family appearing in Vera. And whether that is just a coincidence or they're big Football Weekly fans, I have it on excellent authority that the just published murder mystery, Hell and Death, or Hella and Death, contains a series of clues, or possibly red herrings, in homage to a certain pundit's obsession with crime, including a back issue of The Blizzard. There's also a character in it called Wilson. For the record, this is a shameful coincidence and should not be taken as a reason to inflate his ego still further. Yours with love, Oscar Jensen, listener since 2014 and author of the just-published murder mystery, (laughs) Hella and Death. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, go and buy Oscar's book. Uh, David says, um, Hi Max and the gang, my best friend Shaka. Also, a listener of the pod is getting married on the 27th of January, i.e. on Saturday, uh, to his partner Emma. I was just hoping for a vintage Barry message. I think he'll be more enthused about this one. As whilst love is a factor, another reason is that being married means they get stuff cheaper, i.e. rental cars, when they visit America.
3: True love that. Uh, Shaka and Emma. Uh, Baz, away you go. David's made a schoolboy error here because he's given me nothing to work with. Just that Shaka is tight and... (laughs) Uh, he's only marrying Emma for the financial breaks that their uh, nuptials will will bring. I, I believe you get tax breaks as well if you're married that you wouldn't otherwise get. Then there's pensions, stuff like that. Uh, widow's pension, you know, you wouldn't get that Uh Emma wouldn't get that if Shaka didn't. I think out. it takes like thirty or forty years of those benefits yeah. to to pay off the. So average widow's pension is a
2: really it's an odd place to go to start with, isn't it? Seems quite far.
3: Hopefully, quite far in the future, wasn't it? David hasn't told us how old Shaka and Emma. Are. They could be a very, very good. Could be in the early sixties. So, I mean, I, I appreciate that many see me in on my role at, on Football Weekly as some sort of dancing bear. Who, who will perform on request. But I really need more material to work with.
2: Oh, fine. But it's only in two days. Can you not at least wish them some
3: happiness? Yeah. I, I, I hope they're very happy together for as long as the marriage lasts. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, <laughs> being the Football Weekly Dancing Bear
2: um i think it was off the back of cristiano ronaldo saying uh he i'm 44 and i look great or however it 39 whatever he is ergonomic says when will i be able to buy the i'm 51 soon and i look like a sack of shit t-shirt which <laughs> was your, your comment to that barry maybe we'll add them to football weekly merchandise um uh, jordan you've got a new podcast
0: you're allowed to plug it here is it good it's it's I think it's very very good. Thank you very much. It's um, me and three mates. Uh, it's called Not for Clicks. Um, we it's, we, it's football centred, but it's also sports. So we look at other sports and discuss what's happening in other sports. We don't really focus too much on games, so it's it's no competition with with the Guardian Football Weekly. We more kind of focus on on issues than actual game to game stuff, and it's just four guys having a laugh. Um, and as you do on here, um, and let me push my anti-Villa agenda. It's basically an hour of of, of that on my podcast wow. over there. So, but it's not for clicks. I mean, it's not for clicks. No one gets accused of clickbait
2: when I, in the responses to this podcast more than you. But you know, it's good you've had an about turn here. Thank you very much. Ah, um, uh, finally, Rian has written us a poem about chicken goujons. Uh, the email was marked urgent. Please read. Um, <laughs> um, okay in a pub so snug with laughter aglow barry and max friends in the know a platter arrived a feast to be chicken goujons crispy and free barry's wit sharp as a knife max's humor the spice of life they shared the joy in every bite they shared the joy in every bite goujons dipped in tales so light as crisp <laughs> as crispy crumbs danced in the air friendship flourished beyond compare barry and max a duo so grand in Chicken Goujons, they found a strand, says Rion. From Rion in, in Manchester. It's like the
4: Iceland uh, Christmas yeah. advert. Is um,
2: Chicken Goujons. That's not Urban Dictionary,
3: Barry, for something, is it? <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm aware of. If if his poem was called Alabama Steamboat,
2: then wow. yeah, I I'd, okay. I'd have cut you off <laughs> really? early doors. Okay.
3: Well Are we in some way do we have some connection to chicken goujons <laughs> that I'm that I've completely forgotten I about? I don't or? think
2: so. I mean I'd happily share a, a a platter of chicken goujons with you Barry next time we're in the same room.
3: I, I, I was I was at home in Burr last week visiting Maya Glendenning and we, we had no electricity the first day of my uh because the the men were fixing the pylons on our street and electricity pylons as opposed to... Yeah, the pylons we're used to, yes. Social media (laughs) pylons. Uh, So, yeah, I took Ma out for lunch and I I had scampi rather than chicken Mm -hmm. goujons. So if, if you could write a poem about scampi then... I'm here today. I'm here right. for it.
2: It would be more fitting. Um, I mean that really will do for today. Um, but <laughs> so thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Barry. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Jordan. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanders.
0: This is the Guardian.